I wonder if you've ever uh, built something up, kind of got excited about something, uh, had a sense of increasing anticipation, um, have that sense rising up in you about, about something coming up or something like that, only for those hopes to have ended up being disappointed. So Emma shared a little bit about that already, some things that she was looking forward to, which didn't really come off. But could be other things. Could be maybe a holiday that you were looking forward to for a long time, and you went and you know you you have that moment where you walk into your accommodation, and it is not what it looked like on the brochure, and you're immediately hugely disappointed. Or it could be, uh, say, a gift that you have uh, bought for someone, and you're super excited to see their reaction when you give them the gift, and then they open it up, and it's just at least that little bit more muted than you would hope than than you had hoped for. Or maybe um, if you're thinking of tracking through a novel, uh, you know, you, the, the sense of excitement is reading as the story is unfolding, and, you, and then you get to the final chapter, and you're hoping for everything to be resolved beautifully in that final chapter, and you're just left struggling, just feeling like n- nothing was sorted out the way that you'd hoped it would be. It can be very disappointing. Um, some of you will have seen, if you follow me either on Facebook or Twitter, uh, I posted yesterday that... Saturday was the, yesterday was the 10-year anniversary of the last ever sold-out event in the AECC. So if you know what sold-out was, it was a sort of inter-church worship event that some of us in this church were involved in running, or, or some of you might remember attending a sold-out event. And uh, I do look back on, on those days, and that event in particular, with, which, with, with huge thankfulness to God for those sold-out days. But I'll just share with you, in reality, that final event was not everything we had hoped it would be. We had been so looking forward to it, from the dates we'd landed on, to the speakers we'd managed to book, to the theme that we felt God had called us to, to the promotional material which we'd put together, to the sort of like even the stage background and the other logistics, to the times of prayer and anticipation that we'd felt spiritually. We were, we were super excited for this final event and then so many things went wrong at the last ever sold out event. So there's probably some of them that I shouldn't mention here, given that this is being recorded and will go online. But some of them I can mention. So for example, Lindsay, who was probably like the main singer in our band, she all of a sudden came down with a really bad throat, couldn't sing at all. So she had to swap over to keys, learn all the piano parts. And she didn't play piano so much in, in a worship band in those days. So she had to learn all the piano parts. And our, our, our keyboard player had to sing for the weekend. Um, the numbers were bizarrely low over that final encounter weekend, probably about 50% of what they, they normally were. On the Friday night, the thermostat in the main venue was completely broken, so the room was absolutely freezing. So the combination of like way low numbers, this freezing room, it was just not the most encouraging start to get off to. And then even some of our music arrangements as a band just did not come off. And we made more mistakes that final weekend as a band than we probably had ever made before. Um, On the final night, we'd planned this big sort of live musical intro 
introduction, which was to be played over a pre-presented, uh, pre-recorded video. I actually listened back. We've got the recording. I listened back to it yesterday. I just cringed so much um, because it went so badly, this little musical intro, that I ended up saying at the end of it, you know, as I'm calling people to worship, I ended up saying, oh, well, I hope you guys can sing better than we can play. Amen? Which is not a good thing to say in that context. It just draw, my, my family are always telling me off of this. Stop drawing attention to the mistakes that you make. Uh, so, uh, but I was just, it just reveals how, how... I've just done it, haven't I? Sorry. That's, I've just done that exact thing. I'm going to get in trouble for that. Um, but that just reveals sort of how gutted I was in this moment. There were just lots of ways that things didn't work out like we had hoped. In our minds and in our hearts, I think with the right intentions, we had kind of hoped this would be a a special, happy ending to this sold-out journey that we'd been on. But in a number of ways, it just had not fully worked out like that. I think there are a number, uh, I think there could be elements of this that we might feel as we come to the closing chapters of Nehemiah. We've been thinking over these last three months, so this is message number 13 on Ezra Nehemiah. We've been thinking about God's people knowing return, return to the the holy city of God, renewal, spiritual renewal among the community of God's people, return, renewal, and rebuilding of the temple and of the walls. And, And while we've seen some challenges along the way, it ultimately has been a story of many great encouragements for God's people. Um, As Emma highlighted, not everyone managed to make it back, but at least some of God's people were able to come back to Jerusalem. They do have, over the course of these chapters, many significant encounters with God and His Word. There definitely has been that sense of spiritual renewal, a bit of a reset for God's people there. And then there has also been this sense of rebuilding and restoration. God's temple rebuilt, the walls around Jerusalem rebuilt, and then these things have been dedicated to God Some of the religious feasts are back up and running, and God's people are living again under God's law. So, we pick up today in chapter 11, um, and it's this continuing story of this phased return to Jerusalem, uh, where not everyone makes it back. But what happens in, in chapter 11 of Nehemiah is that the leaders are being put in place. We've got three chapters today, so I'm not going to like go in detail on every chapter. You'll bear with me, but I'm summarizing here. What's happening in chapter 11 is that the leaders are being put in place, which will allow the city to function properly. And then in chapter 12, the writer zooms out and provides a record of the priests and Levites who served from Zerubbabel onwards. Now, I don't know if you might remember, but but Zerubbabel came up right at the start of Ezra. Ezra chapter 2 is the first time he's mentioned here. So so the writer's taking us back to the opening chapters of Ezra and is laying out from Zerubbabel onwards all the different priests and Levites that were uh, appointed for that work there. And the point of this is to show that even through the ups and downs of these chapters of this book, God's people were still meeting with him through the ways that he had ordained. Now, when we get to verse 27 of chapter 12, that was the the one where Grace picked up in her reading, we get what seems to be coming to the sort of happy conclusion of Ezra Nehemiah. The wall around Jerusalem here in this chapter is to be dedicated to God. 
And we, we pick up the tone here as we read verse 27. It says this, and at the dedication, this is Nehemiah 12, 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, amen, cymbals, harps, and lyres. You see the tone here? Gladness, thanksgiving, singing, loud music accompanying all of this. And then we, we get these repeated themes through these verses in chapter 12 of joy, song, coming back to God with great thanksgiving. And in verse 30, you get a sense of the sort of the all-encompassing nature of this. It says, the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So this is a significant moment. They're getting everything ready to dedicate this city back to God. Then what happens is there are two choirs that are appointed to sort of encircle the city. So um, they sort of are, are symbolically sort of enfolding around the city as a sort of sign again of God's protection, God's presence there. So Ezra goes with, there's one choir that sort of goes to the south. You can read about that in verse 36 of Nehemiah 12. Nehemiah goes with the group to the north. You can see that in verse 38. So here we have this big finale moment all set up. You have these main characters, Ezra, Nehemiah, back together, all in place for this big moment. And then with that sort of stage set, let's pick it up halfway through verse 42. It says this, the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. Now, I want you to imagine as we're reading here, the, the music swirling and crescendoing here. And then verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the sound of Jerusalem was heard far away. And as I read those verses to begin with, in my mind, the music sort of hit its peak and the screen faded to black and the words came up, the end, and the audience, you know, applauded in, in rapturous joy at this beautiful fitting conclusion to the story that has been unfolding over these chapters. I mean, is this not surely, you would think, where the story should end? Look at the tone again. I'm going to read verse 43 again. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I mean, there's even this great sense of a sort of hope for the future, hope for the area beyond Jerusalem as this wonderful moment for the city of God. The noise of that spills out and is heard far away. And you would think, oh, what a wonderful conclusion to this story with all the ups and downs that we've seen. God's people are together. God's people are full of joy, full of thanksgiving, and that joy is spilling out to the nations around Jerusalem as God had always intended to be. Should this not be the end? But it's not the end. 
I mean, it is in one sense. In terms of the main narrative of what Ezra and Nehemiah has been about, this is actually the sort of end of, of this story. But from verse 44, I think we have 35 more verses between there and to the end of, of chapter 13. From verse 44, it takes a bit of a turn. And we have this little phrase, on that day. Now, it's probably not the most helpful way that that's rendered um, because we, most people think this is actually a, mu a much more general phrase at this time, and it's, more, it's, it's referring to a different period of time than that specific day. We know that because in verse 1 of, of chapter 13, the exact same phrase is used again on that day, and we know that that's speaking of a different season in Nehemiah's life. So we have this, this sense of, you know, at this time, and what you have from verse 44 through to verse 4 of chapter 13, you have basically a bit of a sort of editorial interlude, um, just explaining a few bits of, of what is happening in this season. And then if we pick it up from verse 4 of chapter 13, it's a case of not them again. Not them again. Now, you might remember from a couple of weeks ago what I'm referring to there. We have these enemies that keep coming up through this book, and, 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 one of, and, and they're back. And first of all here, we're introduced to Tobiah. So I don't know if you remember, we had Tobiah and Sanballat. Well, Sanballat's coming. Don't you worry about that. But here is Tobiah. And in verses 4 to 9, again, we're not going to read them for the sake of time, but you get this story of how Eliashib, the priest, who's related to Tobiah, interestingly, he has, he's done something outrageous, really. He's taken a part of God's temple, and he's cleared it out to make this beautiful open-plan apartment for Tobiah to live in. And Nehemiah has to deal with this, and he deals with it in quite a blunt way. He basically, if you can read there, he throws all the furniture out of this area, and he gets that place cleaned right up because this is a, a horrific offense for, for this house of God that they have been rebuilding and settling back into. Here now, you know, this priest has, for his family member, basically just made it into this apartment for him to live, and Nehemiah is not happy about it. Trial, difficulty, challenge. You see more of this from verse 10. More challenge, more trial. God's laws from verse 10 onwards are not being fulfilled. The temple workers are not being looked after. And you can see the seriousness of this in verse 11 of chapter 13. So I confronted the officials, Nehemiah says, and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in stations. He's saying, after all that God has done in bringing us back here, after all the effort that has been put in, after all the prayer and dedication that has been done, now you are forsaking what God has put in place. And again, Nehemiah deals with it. From verse 15, there are more laws of God that are being completely ignored. God's Sabbath is not being observed. Look at verse 17. Uh, it says there, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Again, 
Nehemiah deals with this in no uncertain terms. As you can see in verse 21, he says, you know, you better sort this out or I'm going to lay hands on you, (laughs) is the expression. And it's not like, let's have a prayer time, lay hands on you. It's the other kind of lay hands on you. Nehemiah's, you know, this is serious. He's saying, "You, you, you can't do this. This is an offense before God and what God has put in place. And then finally, we see the same sense of anger, almost despair from Nehemiah. It's been increasing over these verses from verse 23 onwards, where again, God's law is ignored, this time involving, wait for it, who? Sanballat, the, the, uh, the Horonite. And it says, not, you know, it's that sense of, oh, not him again. Right at the end of this book, <laughs> here he is again, and, and Nehemiah has to deal with it. So let's just read the last few verses from him halfway through verse 28. Therefore, I chased him from me. <laughs> you don't want to mess with Nehemiah, right? He's going to let he's roughing people up and chasing them out of, uh, out of his presence. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus, I cleanse them from everything foreign and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. And then these final words, remember me, oh my God, for good. And that's where the book ends. On this kind of tone of desperation. All the excitement and then just travesty after travesty after travesty to the point where Nehemiah is just going, God, remember me. Help me. God, don't forget me. Now, here's the question. Why finish the book here? You know, like in, in the Scriptures, God, through the power of His Spirit, ordains the writers to, to arrange and compose the works, the words that He has given them in certain ways. I mean, they could have just finished at the end of this wonderful moment of joy spilling out. Why finish the book here? Well, I think the book finishes here to show our need, to show just how needy we are as the people of God. This ending should leave us wanting. It should leave us dissatisfied. It's unresolved here. It was all going so well, but it did not end as God's people should have hoped it would end. You see, all these ways that we read about in chapter 13, where where God's people are, are shown to have gone their own way, these were all areas for, for which in, in chapter 10, they had explicitly committed to God that they wouldn't blow it on these areas. Some of the, the issues laid out there in chapter 13. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't fulfill the promises that they had made to God. And it's underlined for us here in this really, truthfully, quite sad ending to the book. Ezra Nehemiah ends like this to underline that even if something is renewed and rebuilt, this old way of relating to God will not do. Because we will always ultimately choose our own ways, our own preferences, our own priorities, our own honor over the honor that God is due. 
And Ezra Nehemiah leaves us crying out for another way, another hope. Just like, you know, in a silly way, that final night of sold out was just that reminder that, hey, our our journey of true and fitting worship of God is not over yet. Left us crying out for that. Just like other disappointments can leave us crying out to understand that the story of God is not over in our lives. Ezra Nehemiah leaves us crying out, just like the way that when we think of 2020, not having gone our way, it leaves us crying out for more, crying out for peace, acknowledging our need, or at least it should. Just like when our, our, our sort of usual patterns of how we connect with God and God's people, when those are, are interrupted, it should leave us crying out for more. Just like when we encounter various problems and difficulties that reveal our, our, our finitude and our fragility before God. It, whenever we encounter struggle, it just reveals our need of God, and it should leave us crying out for more. And, and all of this is to say that we can't do it on our own. We need return, renewal, rebuilding, but we need true and final return, true and final renewal, true and final rebuilding. Not not rebuilding with stones a temple that would be fitting for God, but what we really should be calling out for is for us to be built together through the power of the Holy Spirit as a beautiful dwelling place for God Himself. And Ezra Nehemiah cries out for that. And the way it's, it's written here leaves this sense of the work's not over yet. It's not finished yet. It's not the end of the story. And in the, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, the way that Jesus would have read that, Ezra and Nehemiah is one of the final books, just chronicles after it. But, but there's this sense of waiting for this coming Messiah. And here's the point. We need Jesus. We need Jesus and his new covenant, which he has opened up the way for us to relate to God. We need Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, what disappointments are you living with just now? What story hasn't gone the way that you hoped it would even one that at some point you can look back and it seemed like it was on track. Just like that sense of joy that there was in Nehemiah 12. What are you struggling with just now? Hope, not in yourself, not in whatever renewal, return, rebuilding that that you can accomplish or that those around about you can help with, but, but trust in Jesus, hope in Jesus. I want to come to a close by by reading uh, the, the closing paragraph of one of the commentaries that I've been referring to at points through this Ezra Nehemiah. There's, there's one by uh, Derek, Derek Kidner? I think it's, it's Kidner anyway. And this is Mark Throntweit. And let me just read the, the closing paragraph because I, I think it captures exactly what we're, we're getting after here. Uh, on the close of this book, he says, sobering as this word may be, We are not meant to dwell on this pessimistic portrayal of the community. Their failure is, after all, 
only an, an example of the sin that pervades the human race and the reason that all attempts at a lasting restoration of communion with God based on the law are doomed to fail. The restoration of Jerusalem with its temple and walls was not the final fulfillment of the prophetic hope. The walls would not withstand subsequent attack. The temple itself would later be destroyed. But from the loins of that sinful community, something new would appear. Not merely a restoration of the old, but a new departure a totally new avenue of approach in which God himself in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ would fulfill the demands of the law where Israel could not. It is to this final fulfillment of the prophetic hope that Ezra and Nehemiah ultimately points. I don't know, but maybe some of us, I'm sure, in fact, some of us are in a season of discouragement and disappointment just now or maybe even deeper than that maybe a season of huge trial the message of this book is that we do need as a church as God's people to come home to God return to be renewed in him to be rebuilt again as God's people but the message is we can't do it on our own It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that this work is accomplished. His work is done. And the Holy Spirit is at work inviting us into the finished work of Jesus Christ. Yes, comforting us, helping us along the way, leading us and empowering us to then be part of sharing that gospel message with others around about us in our communities. I want to encourage you, wait on Jesus. Which, of course, is a subtle encouragement for this next season that we're about to enter, right? Season of Advent, waiting on the coming Savior. How we need Him. How we need the return, the renewal, and the rebuilding that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And I just in the quiet, I just want to give you a moment, maybe again, maybe for the first time, I don't know, just to acknowledge your need, acknowledge whatever ups and downs you're facing just now. And with the Holy Spirit's help now, acknowledge your need to come home to God. And now come and say, thank you, God. Thank you that it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on how I'm going to behave in this next few hours. But I can come home to you and no renewal, no, for us as the people of God, the reality of being built up again through the finished work of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you We don't deserve your repeated grace and mercy. But that is who you are. 
a great God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And we thank you, God, that you're not done with us. Thank you that you're leading us on. Thank you that you will, you are, bringing us home. May we know that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.